I'm going to introduce our friends from Startup Exchange. Chintan is coming up here and he's going to get some credit for it as credits too. Startup Exchange is a great organization. We love having them as a partner and they are uh, the ones that brought you Y Combinator tonight. So here you go. Hey guys, thanks for coming out. We've got YC with us today. Uh, for those of you that don't know, YC is the best accelerator in the world. Um, they are killing it. They do really cool things. We've got Kat, Michael, and Kevin with us. So I'll let you guys take it away. Yeah, and I want to say thank you for having us. Um, Chintan reached out to me on Hacker News and, uh, and said that if we ever came out to Georgia Tech, he'd, uh, he'd uh, have us all out here. So thank you. Yeah. Kevin, you want to? Um, I figured we, my microphone's so much better than yours. <laughs> so I figured we'd start off with, um, I'd like to know a little bit about the audience. So, uh, how many people here are engineers? All right, all right. Keep it up, are you a computer science engineer, software? All right, and keep it up if you're hardware only. All right, some lone folks out there. And then how many of you are wanting to do your own startup? Right, one on your own company, right? And how many of you are working on a startup right now? Cool. Great. How many of you have users? And how many of you have revenue? Ooh, talk to me later. Okay, so uh, I'm going to start off with quick introductions for each of us, and then we'll go into talking a little about what, what YC is, and then we're going to open up most of this time to Q&A, so just answering directly the questions that you guys are going to have, either about YC or startups or anything, actually. So uh, my name is Kevin Hale. I'm one of the partners at Y Combinator. Uh, I run our fellowship program, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, I came to YC in the winter of 2006. I was in the second ever batch. I started a company called Wufu. It's an online form builder. Uh, helps you create forms and online surveys. I ran that company for five years, and I actually ran it um, not out in Silicon Valley. So I did the program at YC, and then actually moved to Florida, and was out here in this region, and then sold that to SurveyMonkey and then found myself back. And then I've been at YC for about three years. My background's in user experience design, product development, and uh, I work with companies on like things like remote working, um, lots of bootstrapping sort of techniques and efficiencies, and stuff around customer service and co-founder uh, communications. How's it going, I'm Michael, um, another partner at YC. Uh, I did YC twice, uh, in the winter of 2007 and then the winter of 2012. And um, my first company was Justin TV, which came to Twitch and sold to Amazon. My second company was called Social Cam. And I started working at YC about a year and a half ago. Um, I'm a business guy, so I'm pretty much good at nothing. Um, I'm trying to think what else are we saying. It's about it. That's me. Hi everybody, I'm Kat Mignalek. Um, I'm one of the partners at YC as well. I started out working at Wired Magazine, and then uh, Condé Nast, who is our parent company, acquired Reddit, uh, which was in the very first batch of YC. And so um, I ended up, after Wired, working with one of the founders of Reddit, Alexis Ohanian, um, on his fund and nonprofit, and uh, doing political work. Um, then uh, I started at YC in 2013 as the director of outreach. That meant outreach to potential applicants. So everything that we do externally um, that touches someone who's interested in applying to YC has something to do with me. Um, so startup school, female founders conference, college tours, um, you know, our blog, um, and everything that comes out like that. So um, then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much. And so became a full-time partner in 2014, which means uh, all the partners are uh, read applications. 
and uh, you know, do the interviews, choose companies, and then work um, in some capacity with uh, the founders and the batches. So we'll start with what is Y Combinator? And so that actually word um, is actually a computer science term that really describes this like idea of that allows like programs to write programs. And so um, YC is basically a startup that starts startups. That's how we sort of think of things. And it was founded in 2005 uh, by a guy named Paul Graham. Um, has, how many people have read any of his essays? How to start a startup or what have you, right? Okay, cool. So Paul uh, started a startup himself, and it was a company called ViaWeb. And it was a relatively interesting startup that basically became the backbone of what became like Yahoo Store. So it was like one of the first sort of do-it-yourself e-commerce store solutions. And uh, he, he did pretty well on it, but what he noticed is like the way he did a startup was like they didn't know what they were doing at all. And with just a little bit of advice from a couple of key people that helped them with some paperwork and formation stuff, it made all of the difference. And so his idea was like, maybe I could do a program like that, but do it at scale. And so YC's key innovation is we invest in startups in batches. And so we do have two batches that we do a year, one in the winter and one in the summer. The winter goes from January through March. Uh, which we have going on in session right now with the winter 2016 class. And then we have another one coming up in the summer from June through August, which we have applications open for right now. Uh, it's a three-month program, and the way it works is the startups move to Mountain View for those three-month periods, and then they come to do office hours one-on-one -on -one with partners. And what's interesting about the partners at YC, they're all people who have done startups themselves, and they'll be able to answer all questions on all different topics, everything from product to fundraising to management stuff to things around just like dealing with basic strategy and tactics. Um, every week we have like a dinner that we have all the startups like come to in one building. And that is interesting because what it is is we don't provide office space or uh, room and board. The startups are expected to basically work from home. The only time they come together are for these weekly dinners. Uh, we also <laughs> what we do provide is a relative little amount of money. So it's $120,000 for 7% common stock. So this is for the YC core program. Um, and the idea behind that is like it's enough money that you're supposed to be meant to primarily work on that, the spending on like sort of your own sort of rent and sort of get the company just off the ground. Um, at those weekly dinners, we have a, some kind of illustrious speaker, either some kind of famous investor like Mark Andreessen or Ron Conway, or we'll have like other famous entrepreneurs. Uh, we've had like, I think, um, like Ben from Mark Zuckerberg, lots of amazing people. And then we also have some of our amazing sort of alumni come, so like the founders of Airbnb or Dropbox come and speak. So the best things about the dinners uh, is that the speakers are all off the record, and it's because you know it gives the speakers an opportunity to be really candid and honest because when you hear these stories publicly and they tell them, you know, in front of the press, in front of an audience, um, the stories are always very you know, shiny and everything looks like it ran you know, cleanly and well. 
But the truth about startups is, no matter how successful a startup is today, like Facebook, Airbnb, they were all shit shows at the beginning. They all looked like incredibly horrible. Garbage. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the best part is, is that uh, that's one of the most important things for our founders to hear because, as many of you already know, starting a startup is difficult, and uh, and you know persist perseverance is the most important trait in a founder. And so, um, just hearing that other successful founders made it through a lot of shit, essentially, um, often I think makes people feel better, like like they're not alone. I think that's a, one of the big important parts about investing in companies in batches. Uh, doing a startup is usually pretty lonely. Um, usually, like you're doing something out here, you feel like you're doing it on your own. You only have your other co-founders to do it with. And when you do it through YC, you have all these people going through sort of a shared experience, and you're going to see them once a week, and it creates a sort of awesome community around like, oh, these are the people that are also like rooting for me, understand what I'm going through, and it allows me to just sort of diffuse like this emotional roller coaster that is like one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do. Now, at the end of this three-month period, um, we have something called the demo day. What we do is we put a room full of investors, some of the best investors in the world, it's about 500 people, in addition to another two to 300 that watch it um, through our software that we've custom built. And they get up on stage and they have two minutes and 30 seconds to pitch what they did during YC about their company. And they try to take it to the next level, which is basically either raise some more money or just get some more exposure out of it. So that's pretty much the basic parts of the mechanics of how Y Combinator sort of works. Um, in terms of our sort of track record, how everything happens, the, the program has been around since 2005, and we've funded over a thousand companies with this model, and there's over like 2,500 founders part of our alumni network. And these are the CEOs of companies like Dropbox, Airbnb, Reddit, um, Instacart. Instacart, we have Stripe, like just some of the most amazing companies in the valley that you now have access to that help you with like any sort of problem that happens uh, at scale. I think that's one of the most important things to think about is getting into YC means you're part of this community of 2,500 people who've done what you want to do, who sit across many areas, hardware, software, healthcare, biotech, aerospace, who've raised money, who've hired, who've fired, who've done deals, who've had deals done on them, um, who've made bad decisions, who've made good decisions. It's a bunch of people who've been there who are your support system. And in many ways, as partners, you know, we've been there, we've certainly done startups. Um, we're, of course, your guides, but it's those alumni that you're really getting access to. It's those people who you can really ask a hard-pointed technical question that someone who's only in your space would really understand. And instead of there maybe being one or two people to talk to, in YC there's probably 100 or 200. So um, definitely something you should consider. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is misconceptions about YC. So um, a lot of people don't think that they should apply to YC for a lot of reasons um, that I actually kind of find a little funny because you know, we read hundreds of YC applications, and so we see everything. And uh, a lot of companies that tell me they don't want to apply because they don't think they can get in are actually a lot further along than a lot of companies that do get in. Um, also, a lot of people, I think, are intimidated by the fact that there are many applicants. Uh, what I want to say is that, one, it's probably easier to get into YC than you think. 
Two, I haven't seen any category or type of company that's not a good fit for YC. Um, three, all of the kind of common knowledge, uh, you can't do YC if you don't have a co-founder, you can't do YC if you're a single founder, you can't do YC if you're not trying to address a local American market, you can't do YC if you don't want to move back home after the program. Um, there's a little bit of wisdom in that, but there are exceptions to every single one of those rules, even in the current batch. So um, really, the way I would think about this is, I was the kind of guy when I was applying to college who applied to 12 colleges. I had no idea what college I could get into, but I figured, you know, what the fuck? Like, the worst case scenario, I get rejected. The best case scenario, I have a lot of options. That's how you should be thinking about YC. Not, um, I'm afraid if I apply and I don't get in, it's gonna somehow hurt me. I bet over 20% of the class has applied to YC previously. It does in no way hurts you to get rejected. In fact, I would argue in some cases when reading applications, if someone's applied previously, they're working in the same company, I can track the difference in the last six months, it's helpful. It actually increases the chances of getting in. So um, if you take nothing away from this meeting, think that like YC is for you people. Like it's not for this other group of really awesome people that you guys don't belong to. It's like literally it's for you. To add to that, um, we started a new program called the Fellowship to recognize that there are some limits that we're starting to see with YC in the way that it's working right now with our sort of core program. And so it's usually the reason that someone doesn't get into YC is not for something that they're doing wrong. It's almost never, it's like, oh, you did something wrong, therefore we're not accepting into the batch. It's almost always someone else has done something better and it pushes you down. It's just like normally the way it sort of works. And what we realize is that um, the early days of YC, the YC that we picked, the Dropbox and Airbnb, for instance, that was a program that only had $18,000 that was given to them. That's how much was given to my company when I did YC. And it was tremendously helpful just to have access to a little bit of advice that had no sort of brand value, had no sort of network. And so we were trying to figure out how do we build a program that allows us to continue to grow? Because like our definition of a startup is one that grows. So how do we go from 200 companies a year that we fund to 2,000? And so the fellowship program is this sort of experimental, a uh, new program that's designed to figure out how to give YC's advice and, and give it access to people that wouldn't normally be able to have access. So this is a program that's meant to be the first check in your company. So if you only have a prototype, you only have an idea, but your team is solid, you can make things sort of happen, you can get shit done, right? This is a program designed for you. It's a program that's designed to be experienced remotely. Um, there's only one time that we bring all the teams together for like this sort of one unique kickoff conference. We have a virtual demo day, then a physical demo day. And since we don't have like weekly dinners that's done in a building, but ones that are stream online, has no constraints of a physical building. It's all meant to be done sort of virtually. Um, we just started this program. We had one iteration in the fall. It worked out really well. And then we've already started the second iteration and we're taking applications for, for the third one in the summer. And then we'll probably be working on and designing a, a fourth one already in the fall. We iterate very quickly. But it's meant to be for people who basically feel like, I'm so super early on and I'm trying to figure out an idea. The structure of that program is we provide $20,000 instead for 1.5% equity. But we're actually taking that equity in a very unique and sort of innovative way. And that is we don't take our shares up front. We will only convert that into equity or shares if you either, one, go IPO, or two, have some kind of evaluation event that has your company worth $100 million or more. So either acquisition or some kind of funding raise. 
And the idea there is twofold. One is that we don't win unless you win big. Number two, it keeps us honest about not making a program that is like a Cliff Notes version, shitty, smaller version of regular YC. It's a program that's only going to succeed, right, if we actually like give quality advice and help you guys really work really well. Um, and you can apply to both at the same time. It's a universal ap application. So basically, if you're interested in both, you can push, the, uh, you can push that decision onto us and we can figure out that stuff. Um, at scale, or you can choose to apply just directly to one or to the other, up to you how you want to set it up. So earlier you guys were saying you wanted to share some war stories. <clears throat> and sure. So here, here's a question. Um, what is one thing you would have wanted yourself to know when you were first starting out? Um, I didn't know that uh, I feel like when you grow up, you hear that things are really like black and white. And so, um, for example, if you sign a contract, then you have to do what the contract says because you signed your name. That seems like a very simple principle. And um, in the startup, I learned very quickly that there's a lot of gray room there. So I remember when we were first working on our company, it was an online reality TV show which is basically the worst idea that anyone could ever come up with. <laughs> Far worse than any of you guys. The company eventually sold for a billion dollars, so you guys have to, you know, like know that your idea can be, maybe it's the hundred billion dollar idea. It's better than this one. And we had to stream this live video back before people really did stream live video. So we found one company that would help deliver our video. It's called a content delivery network, CDN. We found one CDN that would deliver our video, but we had no idea how many people would want to watch. So we wrote, you know, made this deal where we said, okay, we're gonna pay you this much for this amount of bandwidth, cross our fingers. Uh, so we launched, and in the first month, um, we only had $10,000 in the bank and the bill was $40,000. And so we said to ourselves, well, we're kind of fucked here. And my first thought was like, I guess we just have to go out of business. Like, it's over. Like, <laughs> you know, like good, good try. Try again later. Um, but what I realized was like, well, you know, I think what was really awesome, what was freeing, was that like, we f couldn't pay. We were nowhere close to being able to pay. So immediately I thought, well, we're not going to give them anything because we have to talk our way out of this. Because even if we were to give them a little bit of money, it'd be nowhere close to the 40000 so I remember calling them up and I remember saying, hey, you know, um, is there any way that instead of paying this bill, we could sign a longer term contract? Um, because look how popular our service is. And they were like, oh yeah. I mean, because no one was using live streaming, right? They were like, yeah, this is awesome. And so we're like, okay, how about this? How about we sign a one year contract? Um, but we, you know, or only paying this small amount every month. It was like $2,000 a month. And we don't start paying for the first three months. And we roll in the previous thing into that. So you lock us in for a year. And I'm sitting here like, as I'm saying it, I'm like, are they, how are they gonna fucking believe me? And, but I got nothing, nothing to lose, right? We're in, otherwise we're dead. And so the guy's eating it up. He's like, but we get, you know, it's exclusive. Like you're not going with anyone else. And I'm like, no, no, just you guys. <laughs> no one else is doing enough to do this deal. So. 
So bam, sign all the paperwork, right? All good to go. We're now deferred out of paying this. Now, our number one thing is we have to find someone else to work with because there's no way we can afford these guys, even at that low rate. So we actually build a system ourselves. We actually buy bandwidth from a wholesale provider. And in that interim time, we gave ourselves like three months, right? That three month period of not paying. In that period of time, which seemed like, how could that be significant? That CDN got bought by another CDN. That deal that we did somehow got lost in the ether. We called them at the end of the three month period and asked, we would like to cancel the deal. And the new rep was like, sure, no problem. You have a cancellation policy. We never paid a dollar. <laughs> and so like, you'd ask me like, what I wish I knew. Like, I wish I knew going in that like, when, you know, it's like when you're out there, when you're in the battle, just shit happens. And you just gotta roll with the punches. And like, you gotta make, you know, they say lemons into lemonade, but that's really like, lemons are already pretty good, right? You gotta make shit into gold. And like, <laughs> but like the fun thing is, is that you get to do that right away. You know, at Justin TV, when I started, I was 23 years old. 23 years old, negotiating these contracts, making shit happen or not. And it was like the most fun I've ever had. So, I know, that's one of my least crazy startup stories about contracts of all things, but it's a good place to start. I haven't had any drinks yet. <laughs> I don't have anything like that. Uh, the biggest problem I had at the start of our startup was I had no sense of humility or modesty about me at the time. I thought I was like a hot shit. He's like, improved only very slightly. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was a hot shit sort of designer and that like everything that I put pen to paper, everything that I sort of drew pixel-wise on, on the screen was like God's gift, you know, to man. That set up on there. and. It's one of those things that it kept me from being really good at getting close to our users. And it actually took like, a situation with my founders to finally get sort of really close to them and actually like, turn me into a designer that was actually somewhat decent. Um, and so it started off with just basically we do these like first designs and stuff, like stuff that I really loved that I was sort of proud of. And we put it out there and we have all these users that complain about just like, I can't use this, this is complicated, whatever. And I'd be like, what, what kind of fucking users are we targeting? <laughs> they can't use this thing that I think is brilliant. And at the time, I'm just spending time like just designing and designing and making all this stuff. And the way we had split up customer support after we had launched the first version was basically Chris was doing it. Like we kind of had a shared inbox and we were like, yeah, we'll all kind of do little shifts or whatever. But really Chris just like had this sort of like moral sort of compass that he was gonna get through all the tickets. And eventually like after like three weeks of this, he was like, team meeting, we can't do this anymore. I'm going to quit. Also, Kevin, I need you to read this stuff because you're terrible. <laughs> All right? Like, people can't sign up. People don't know where to like do the first thing. They're just like, and they're coming to me, and they think I am the idiot, and I need you to feel it. So we do the right thing, which is like we split customer support three ways evenly, like on the days of the week. So I had like Monday and Wednesday, Chris had Tuesday and Thursday. Ryan said he would take Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because he wanted more time to do de development, what have you. 
Um, so I started doing the customer support, and I realized, like, holy shit, I'm, I am terrible. Like, these people, at first I'm like, angry at them, like, writing, like, it's right fucking here. It's a screenshot. I put it right here. It's obvious as hell. But as I, like, so I'm doing it, I'm realizing, oh, I could do this a little better. Or, like, I can make this more obvious. Oh, this could be kind of confusing. And so as I'm doing the support, I'm also, like, trying to fix this stuff in the code as fast as possible. And, of course, the product starts getting better and better, and we get less problems on there. And I have a better relationship with my co-founders now. Because they're like, your, your stuff's not garbage, and, that, and when we do support, we don't have to deal with it. And it's one of those things where I realize it's just like, I can only get so far. Like, if you are talented and good at what you do, which a lot of good entrepreneurs are, they have a pretty good healthy self-image about themselves and about their ability to like take over the world, but that only gets you so far. Like, it gives you a head start over other people, but it's so far away from where you're going to have to be. And the only place that you get the information of what you need to, to get out there is like right from your users. And it turns out like you don't have to like create a giant user study or survey to get that information. You can show your product to like three, five people and you're gonna get a host of feedback that will be remarkable and insightful and like quite honestly like groundbreaking for you. And a lot of people are afraid to even do that with just like let me directly show this thing to just a couple of other people, see what they sort of say. I see lots of startups, they think about things in terms of stealth mode, or they think someone's gonna steal their idea, or they need it to be absolutely perfect to get out there. And just know that whatever first version you have on there is going to be terrible. <laughs> it's gonna be a shit show. And for the first basically two years of the product, I was relatively embarrassed and surprised that anyone paid for our services. And it took a long time to sort of get to the point where we were like, okay, wow, this is something that's amazing that we're sort of proud of uh, and set up on that. So the thing I wish I knew as early as possible was like, one, humility and modesty is the best way for me to build the best kinds of products. And then my users have all the answers I could ever possibly need in order to make something great and to make anything that's going to potentially grow. Um, let's... Uh, no, I think we're just going to go ahead and open up the questions from you guys. So um, we can usually answer questions about any topic. You could also definitely ask us to tell more embarrassing stories. <laughs> yes. Hi, uh, my name is Nikki. Um, my question is about uh, the Why would you have to do it? Um, Are you an investor? No, not yet. <laughs> okay, so the question was um, how do we uh, read applications in spaces that we're not particularly experienced in? And the answer is we're not particularly experienced in most spaces. Like, almost all spaces. So, I mean, like, think about it, right? Like, from the direct experience perspective, I spent 10 years doing video. How many people are doing a video startup? Exactly. And even more so, operating in areas where our experience is actually kind of a negative when it comes to picking companies, I know every single problem that could exist with every video startup. I'm probably not the best person to be rah-rah and excited about video. I'm horribly unexcited about video. Kevin didn't do a video startup. He's accepted some companies that I never would have accepted, but they should have been in. 
they should have been NYC. So from my perspective, like that experience isn't really what matters. Um, what we look at is like very simple. Like, is it a team that can execute? Is it a team with the ability to get things done? Typically that means, do they have technical talent on the team? And do they have the right balance of founders who are motivated and have known each other? And the second thing is, is like, is this problem of any significance? If they're able to solve this problem, can they create a big company out of it? And then the third thing is, can they show us evidence of actually getting things done? Past, could they potentially get things done? Are there any evidence of getting things done? I gotta be honest, if you check all three of those boxes, you get an interview. Um, the number of times that I spend looking at an application and saying like, uh, do I like that idea? It's like almost none. Um, I'm not a consumer for the vast majority of products that, once I put my user hat on, I'm just like an, an idiot, right? I'm just like, I'm not like one of these guys that's complaining to Kevin. Like, like I'm, I'm just like a normal Joe, one of many, right? So that's not really what we do. Um, we just look for things, people who get stuff done, and then we try to help them and take barriers out of the way of them getting what they want to get done done. Here's the secret that I'll let you guys in on. Um, when I do office hours of doing outreach and talking to new companies, um, I don't tell anyone that I don't like their idea. I like everyone's idea, right? And the reason I do that is because I can't predict. Like, we don't believe at YC that we can predict what ideas are going to work or not. That's not, that's exactly how the model works, is that we don't know how to predict industries, markets, verticals, what's going what's gonna to be good in the future. We can't predict trends. We don't even try. That's why we invest in hundreds of companies at a time. For example, this current batch is 126 companies, in addition to another 31 companies at the fellowship. And so that model predicates is that one of those will probably be a billion dollar company. We don't know which one it's gonna be, so that's why we invested in a bunch of them, all right? The only thing we've ever been able to predict is that like, oh, smart, hardworking, uh, Founders who have grit and are people I want to have dinner with every single week, which means they like are not an asshole, right? If I invest in them in bulk, they tend to make really great, amazing companies. That's the only thing we predict. So that's what we try to find. We look at the team and we say, like, this is the team that can execute that works well. The other angle on that is I'm trying to figure out can they communicate effectively? And I talk about this all the time, which I say is like clarity is the foundation for growth. Right? And if you can get the growth and you have startup, and you have, the, you have the basic foundations for a startup. And the clarity is actually the really hard part for most startups on the application. For a lot of you guys, you think, I have a million reasons why this thing is going to work out really well. Uh, and then you try to like diarrhea it all onto the page. <laughs> and the other thing is the way you think to talk about a company is the way you have seen it by like MBAs or like the way business is portrayed on TV or what have you. And really that is not the way good ideas propagate and spread. Word of mouth growth is the best form of growth. And what that looks like is basically you sitting at the dinner table, you talk about the idea or talk about this company and you're the most interesting person at the table. And then those other people want to talk about it as well. And the way that gets propagated is like, one, did you say something that someone can remember? Did you say something in a way that they can identify, resonate with, and get excited about? And did it in a way that is concise? Because if it is long, not exciting, and not easy to remember, then it just disappears into the ether. 
And that's what it should look like in the application. It should be relatively simple, conversational, and jargon-free. So it's like the best thing you could do onto the application is make it very clear to me, and then have all this other evidence that we need that your team is the one that can make this clear idea manifest into the world. Next question. Have you ever had like, uh, I mean, probably have a couple, a company or a couple companies you guys had like apply for YC and just for one reason or another turn them down and then come six, eight months later, a year later, all of a sudden they're front page of Hacker News and you're just like, oh shit. We should have <laughs> the question them. was, has there ever been a company that YC has passed on that then became huge and we were like, oh shit. Yeah, there's actually like, we have a whole list of them. They're called misses on there. We can't reveal who they are because like, yeah. it's considered on the application, it's confidential that you applied to YC. Many people apply while there's certain jobs and stuff. But it's one of those things that like, yeah, we look very hard at that and we try to learn from all those lessons very clearly. But none of them are worth a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Can you explain why you have that question? Um, I think it's important to work well with your team members and understand them. Like, it's really easy to get along with people when things are good. Uh, so I haven't really experienced hardship with what I'm trying to create. And when I do, because that's sort of like a win, not a kind of there we go. That's the real question. Okay, so the question is, when shit goes down and I feel like I want to kill my co-founders, like, one, does that happen? Yes. Two, how do I deal with it? That's a great question. Um, so first, the number one thing that kills startups is founder breakups. So you're right to identify that point as an important one because it's not running out of money. Um, it is the number one problem. Two, one of the things that we really encourage founders to do is know each other before they decide to do a company. We're not really huge fans of founder dating, of going to a conference and, oh, we're both interested in the same thing, and then next week, oh, we're doing a startup together. Harder, um, harder. The person who you know, either professionally or socially, when you're in that stressful moment, and you're about to say that one thing that's probably gonna fuck this whole thing up, you hold back. <laughs> when you're in that really stressful moment and you don't have that shared history and you don't feel like there's a cost to destroying the relationship because the relationship is solely predicated on your startup, you sometimes say that thing and then it's game over. Um, with that being said as well, you're exactly right. Startups do break up in YC. Um, it's an extremely stressful time and probably one of the values of YC is that you will feel like your relationship is stronger because you're under a lot of stress. Um, you know, and this is what I said yesterday, but literally when you have a startup, you have a gun to your head. In many ways, YC is extremely helpful, but in many ways, YC just points another gun at your head um, and says, Good luck. <laughs> that's one of the reasons we also look for teams with evenly distributed equity. Um, because, you know, often we'll see someone say, oh, I, I started this six months before I brought on a co-founder, that's why I have 90%. 
Uh, but the truth is, is that the vast majority of your company's life is in the future. You know, it takes eight to ten years these days to exit or IPO. And so, you know, both of you, or all four, however many there are of you, have a lot of work ahead of you, and you all kind of want to feel like you're on the same, you know, on the same plane, you know, working towards the same thing together. Um, you're right that you guys are eventually going to have something that you're going to fight about. That happens in every sort of relationship that happens out there. Um, and actually, what I'd recommend uh, as a resource guy to talk about relationships and working on like how to deal with fighting is actually a resource on like how to have a really good marriage. Uh, it comes from a research guy named John Gottman. Um, he's a researcher up in Seattle, and he has this interesting parlor trick where you can watch a videotape of a married couple fighting with one another uh, for 15 minutes, and he can predict with an 86% accuracy whether they're going to be divorced four years down the road. If he watches them for an hour, he can predict with 96% accuracy. <laughs> and like he said, what he noticed is that it wasn't that the good couples um, never fought. Turns out everyone fought, and it was all about how you sort of fought. So the first thing is you want to have a plan for like when we have a problem or start fighting about stuff. Like, how are we going to sort of deal with it, right? And the first thing is we need to establish with everyone here is that, like, we trust one another. Like, the biggest thing that usually happens is, like, we start fighting about something, we have something, a disagreement, and then we say something personal, right? And we have to agree that everyone is doing stuff or making actions at the best that they can. I trust them that they're doing the best they can, and they're not doing it in a way that is not against the company. They're not doing it for personal reasons. So if you don't have that as the baseline, when things are calm and when things are good, or when you're first meeting with each other, if you don't establish that, then in the future, and when things get emotional and you get stressed, then you will resort to that fear that like, I think you're not doing it for this. So that's the biggest sentence you could say is like, he's still doing his best and I trust him and he did not make this mistake on purpose. Right, that's the hardest thing to have in terms of empathy with a co-founder for dealing with that stuff. Number two thing that I usually recommend to people is like, Almost nothing is a fucking emergency. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that like 99% of the time, you could probably sleep on it. You cannot try to resolve it right there in the moment when you're super, super angry. A lot of, the only times that you are, like, should be stressed is like the servers are down or the payment processor like, isn't working or whatever, the billing system is broken. Those things are emergencies to fix. <laughs> but that's probably like one person's responsibility. Right? And if there's a clean delineation of who's working on that, leave that person the fuck alone. Because <laughs> he knows that he's got to be working on it. Remember, trust, and he's doing his best. All right? So you saying, like, how much longer? How much longer? Is it still down? You know, you know, the user, you know we're losing money. <laughs> he knows that. So remember that. Right? Um, the things that... Almost all startups tend to fight about are the same things that married people fight about. So everyone, married couple fights about the same things. Money, kids, sex, time, and things like jealousy and the in-laws. All those things map to a startup and the things you're gonna fight about. So like money, how much money is in the bank, fundraising, all that stuff. Kids, that's your users and your customers, anything weird that happens there. Sex, so that's about performance, right? <laughs> so if you're a server, it's like how long you're up and how fast. So time is roadmap. What do you spend your time on? What is the prioritization of the product or features? And then jealousy and in-laws, in that's competition and partnerships, where things happening out there. So you just go through and all that stuff, and you just kind of, when things are good, you establish ahead of time. This is the plan for how we deal with things. This is how we're gonna communicate them. This is who owns the sort of process. And if we have a disagreement, how are we gonna to come to like who owns it? And this is usually is, someone should be the one that calls the shots on it. Either, someone, either the CEO or whoever we say owns the piece on there. 
And so if you establish that all ahead of time, then you have a roadmap to follow when things go wrong, when shit hits the fan. That's like the best thing that you could ever do ahead of time. And usually when I'm dealing with co-founder issues, that's always what I have to go back to. I was like, well, what's the plan for dealing with this when things went wrong? Who owns this that's set up on there? All right, does he really own it? Because that's almost always the problem. It's like, I don't feel like he owns it, or I don't trust that he should own it anymore. That's a different discussion then, right? Can't solve two problems at the same time. So those are my like, biggest help for like, dealing with that. Like, make a plan ahead of time. Next question. Uh, you mentioned over secrecy in early startup ventures. I was wondering, in your opinion, who are the people you really should be talking to, and who are the people you really shouldn't? Ooh, I might almost ask you this to restate that. Is there a specific fear or concern that you have? No, or a way that you could restate the question? Say that a lot of people have the issue that they are over secreted or too like under the under the heart working on it, uh, and that creates shitty products. So, who are the people you really need to be talking to that you might be afraid to? And who are the people you really shouldn't that, you know, are really good? Great, so, um, talking about your startup, who should you talk to, who should you not talk to? Um, in the early days, the not talk to group is really not based on um, the fact that those people can hurt you, typically. It's based on it being a waste of time. Um, the people you should talk to are your users uh, and your co-founders. Um, basically, like secrecy is irrelevant. The steady, like, kind of natural state of startup is failure. Um, and so, usually, the excuse for secrecy is we don't want to talk to X, Y, and Z because if we blow up, blank. Well, you being good, chances are not going to happen. So that consequence, chances are not going to happen. Um, on the flip side, talking to people can increase your chances of success. So, um, yeah, basically what I'd say is whenever I meet a founder, and I'm putting my like, you know, douchebag investor hat on for a second, like whenever I meet a founder who's like, I don't feel comfortable, uh, or like, would you like to sign an NDA? You know, I do a quick like calculation in my mind, like, are they doing it because it's for real? Like I met a founder today, for example, who literally has an NDA with some Fortune 500 company, can't talk about it, I'm not gonna pressure them to talk about something. Or is it like an oversensitivity? If it's an oversensitivity, my, my initial thought is, there are thousands and thousands of other startups that I could be talking to right now, moveon.org. And so like, how, why is that how you'd want to start a conversation with somebody? Um, as opposed to just saying what you do and omitting the parts that you think maybe potentially could harm you, which, of which there are very, very few. So yeah, to answer your question, talk to as many people as possible who are your users and your co-founders and um, Try not to talk to fake people, um, going to conferences, scenesters, um, people who were really, really successful, super, super far, far, far back, and are trying to, you know, take a bunch of your time and help you run your company. Um, basically, like there are a lot of people who do talk, and the, f the problem with talking to them is not that you're going to give away secrets; it's that they're just wasting your time. So. That's my best answer. Uh, there's another reason a lot of people don't want to talk because of competition. Oh, competition. Nobody cares about competition. Um, once again, apply the rule of the steady state of startups is failure, right? So you're going to fail, they're going to fail, you guys talking to each other, two failures talking to each other. Um, <laughs> and, and it's so funny because like this happened, uh, like at Justin TV, we had these two competitors, Ustream and Livestream. Justin TV, Ustream, Livestream. 
And then before we actually figured our shit out, we would spend these cycles where one of us would build a feature, and we would see it on another one of our other sites and be like, oh fuck, we gotta get that feature. That's the reason why they are just as fucked as we are. <laughs> and so a feature would just travel around us. It's like literally instead of talking to our users, we would just look at our competitors and build their shit. And then we would then accuse people of copying us because when we built a new feature, our competitors would come. And this was like years of just complete like stupidity um, based on like thinking that the competitors were important and thinking that they had some you know genius moment that was blowing their numbers up even though we could confirm their numbers were not blown up so yeah we don't care about competitors kind of i know from yc perspective you shouldn't really really care about competitors from a startup perspective you should care about like <laughs> We have this kind of, uh, I have this kind of thought, right? It's like a startup is basically just sitting, steady state in a position of like death. Just, you just wanna get up like one meter off the ground. Just one meter, just like, you don't have to get up to the sky, you don't have to fly, just get out of this steady state of like, no one's using our product, we haven't launched our product. And then once you get out of the like, we've launched and someone's used it, move it up to like 10 people, 100 people. Like that's what you should be thinking about. Not anything else. And like, if your competitor can prevent you from getting one user, then like you're in a pretty unique industry. <laughs> All right, next question. I am so curious if you guys are on the role of patents and IP, like for these startups. Are people coming in with that, you know, kind of patent or should you see that? So the role of patents, um, I don't want to paint too like wide of a brush, right? Uh, there are definitely some industries where patents are more important than others. In kind of pure software, they're almost purely not important at all. Um, but you know, certainly in some hardware applications and some biotech applications and science applications, they're they're more important. I think the thing to remember is if you don't have the money to defend your patent, how valuable is your patent? And the second thing to remember is um, you have to show actual value in your product. Some people think that IP is an asset. It is definitely an asset in some very limited situations, but the larger asset is being able to provide a service to your customer that they're willing to pay for. And so, um, if I were to think about the things in the startup that matter, and things that don't, I always think like 95.5, right? There's 5% represents the things that kind of matter on the margin, 95% represents the things that like get me more customers and get me to improve my product. The IP stuff is in the 5%. It's not in the 0%. But if you find yourself spending more than 5% of your time worrying about IP, you know, ch check that out. So do investors look at whether you have IP protection? We don't, no. Um, Series A investors often don't. And it's funny because the word, like, as I've gone and raised money and done startups over the last 10 years, like, it started as IP being kind of not important, and it's gone down in its importance, not up. Um, but once again, like I don't want to speak in a super broad rush. There are definitely some, you know, narrow industries where, where IP is important. I guess what I would say is like search for the best practices. Don't talk to lawyers. Talk to operators, and talk to operators who are like a year ahead of where you are, and try to figure out where the best practices are there. Lawyers suck in terms of telling you best practices. They just tell you the thing that's the safest. In every single one of your startups, you're going to do a lot of things that is absolutely not the safest thing to do. Um, and investors and other people tend to not know. But someone who's a year ahead of you, 
they have a very good sense of whether investors cared about their IP. They have a very good sense of how important that was, a very good sense of, of how valuable it was to have those patents. Next question. Yeah, so what is the minimum that you need to apply to YC? So an idea is the absolute minimum. So you can be a single founder, you can be non-technical, you can not be incorporated at all, right? And if you have a solid idea with a clear description, with all the answers for why you'll be able to execute, even by yourself, then that's enough. We did an experiment once where we, we did one batch where we allowed founders without ideas to apply, um, and that didn't work so well because it turns out if you don't have any good ideas, it's kind of an You'll indicator that you will never have ideas. Any good ideas, like the three months is not going to be the time where you yeah. finally come up with one. <laughs> um, you mentioned the fellowship and in the normal YC program. Uh, so in the YC program, you can get all the exposure from the weekly uh, dinners. What about the fellowship? So the way the, you mean exposure in terms of like with other companies? Or get a lot of like feedback from people who are already starting all right, so how does getting access to like resources work a little bit differently from fellowship versus the YC core? Um, so instead of meeting in person with like dedicated like sort of group partners in YC core, you'll meet more virtually with me and I'll handle a lot more stuff with over email. You still get connections and intros to people inside of the YC network. Uh, as sort of needed. We have a software called Bookface. It's our own sort of private social network for YC founders. And so those founders can go in and look at any sort of also YC alumni, including other fellowship companies, and like go and reach out and talk to them. And also ask some questions. And then the other thing that we do is, um, I'm, we have clusters of teams by nature of like us funding in batches, and so like we have dedicated events where I'll go out to them. So half the teams were in the Bay Area, so I had an event where they came to my house, and we just sort of met and interacted with each other. We have a good third of the companies up in, New, in the New York area, so I'm going up there later this week to go meet with some of them. We have some teams in Austin and Philadelphia that I've already gone and met with, and so it's one of those things where like, I'm optimizing for them to spend as much time with users and product as possible and working on their stuff and having almost no time spent on commuting or doing anything else that's outside of that distraction because it's a shorter time period. It's nine weeks and it's us trying to go and get beyond, like get off the ground. And I call it getting away from zero. And a lot of that time needs to be spent with as much users as possible. But in terms of access to quality advice and how much advice you get, on average, I met with YC companies when I did YC core group um, about every 10 days. And in the YC fellowship, it's averaging about that amount of time as well. In the back. So yeah, I see you have launched to like, so the fellowship, and second is a must. Do you plan to virtualize the YC core program? No. So YC Core will be its current format where it's like you come out to Silicon Valley, you experience how that ecosystem works. It's one-on-one -on -one time with partners and it's a physical demo day where you have one-on-one -on -one experiences with actual demo stuff. The fellowship program is designed to figure out how to scale up our advice and exposure and work with teams that like, even at the end of the program, they still might be too early on for YC. But it's, it's them basically, like we actually had this experience of a lot of people going to other programs 
that said like, you do our program and we'll help you get in the YC. And they would end up forming a lot of bad habits that actually ended up hurting them in the end. And we know that like, we can be helpful to so many other founders if we had another kind of structure for it. And we knew what that looked like because that's what early YC looked like. So for us, it's actually, it's sort of this heritage program to go back to and figure out how we do that at scale. Allow people who have families who can't come out to Mountain View at that certain time. People who are focusing on international audiences. People who are working on like crazy different markets that no one has any information about. And we want to give those people chances to work on that stuff. That they're smart, capable, get shit done teams. When I talk to a lot of international founders or founders in different cities, I always say it doesn't hurt anyone to spend three months in the Silicon Valley because you know, we've traveled everywhere. And while I, I really believe that talent is equally distributed everywhere in the world, in every city, like what's not equally distributed is access to capital. So just like there is no other place in the world where investors and angel investors have an appetite for risk like they do in the Silicon Valley. So it's just spending a little bit of time uh, in the Bay Area and, and building that network of investors and building the network of other founders, um, I think is, is so important and helpful. And then you can always go back to where you're from if that's where your users are. Um, and at least you'll always have that network going forward. Um, in terms of virtualizing, I, I tried, recently I tried that. There, these Oculus, it was like a, someone was building a product for Oculus office hours and I was so excited about it. I was like, oh my God, future YC, it's like all in VR and it's just not there yet. <laughs> you, you, you like can't see facial expressions or body you know, movements and, and I think doing the in-person office hours is just so much more impactful. Um, just, it, it give, I don't know, it gives you such a, a much stronger sense of the team, of, of whether someone is understanding what you're saying, you know, facial expressions, like if someone's looking at you weird, you can kind of, mm -hmm. um, and so one, maybe one day, we'll all live in the matrix, but you know, <laughs> it's a couple years out. They said it's two years away from facial expressions. So maybe two years. Kevin's like, no, never. <laughs> far, far, far back. <laughs> So um, how do we support the international companies that come and do YC? So we have an immigration lawyer that we work fairly closely with, and more importantly, we have had, YC has been about 20% international for a very long time. So we have a lot of alumni who know all the hints and tricks. Um, typically what happens is people come on uh, visitor visas, and they work, which technically you're not allowed to do, but you do it anyways. Um, the they don't pay themselves. Oh yes, they don't pay themselves, yeah. Um, they also uh, tend to leave YC for about a week during the middle, um, because actually when you come to the YC core program, you want to spend about a month after YC fundraising. So they tend to kind of come in January, leave early February, come back, and then they can basically stay um, all of March and all of April. Um, and then in the interim, um, post demo day, post that fundraise, um, we can be helpful in them applying for O1 visas. And the vast majority of our like good international uh, founders are able to get O1 visas. Yeah, yeah. So and also, as I said, there's you know tons of alumni that have gone through the process, and our immigration partner, lawyer partner, has done it for a lot of folks. So. Uh, it's, it's opera. Why is it actually a fairly good path to getting a, a one visa um, in America, <laughs> among other things? O one. 
Oh, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. The extraordinary. Apparently, we fund many extraordinary international founders. Okay. I have to. Our, our, our council would kill me if I let you just end with that. Um, we don't promise anything. We're, we have a lot of experience of helping all the founders. There's never been a situation where a founder has been able to make it, but there are no promises that are set up on there. Some founders, like, we had one founder, it took half the batch before they finally got to come and work alongside their other co-founder. But like I said, we have so much experience that usually there's someone that's gonna be able to help you through that sort of process. Whether it's people we know directly, our own general counsel, or like out in the alumni network that has experienced it beforehand. Yeah, and just to be, to be clear, we do not employ that immigration lawyer. Like our lawyers don't work in immigration at all. We just have an immigration lawyer that we work closely with that you know, we recommend. Okay, one more question. Oh God. <laughs> okay, in the blue shirt. Yeah, um, I guess this, um, this might be a bit of a hard question because there's so many different types of startups and companies that go through YC. But I guess, do you see a sort of Average number of like founders or co-founders on a team? Average number of founders, co-founders in a team, typically two to four founders. We can get one more in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so for a new startup, would you say it's more important to focus on long-term monetization, or should you say screw that and focus on growing your user base first? Would you say it's more important to focus on long-term monetization versus focusing on growing your user base? I might say neither. Uh, I hope there are other choices. I would say that like, if you have a product that you are charging users for, it's more important to find a small group of users who are going to pay for it. Um, if you have a product that you're not going to be charging users for, you know, a social product you'd be charging at advertisers for eventually, then it's more important to just focus on getting more users. Um, Long-term stuff is typically not very important in the early stages of a startup because it's the short-term stuff that's going to kill you. I think the only thing I'll add to that is, I think a lot of people think of YC as like growth at all costs, and we don't believe that at all. So like our first model and premise is make something people want. And so like you don't actually get any kind of good growth if you haven't built something that like even a small group of people love. And that's either, an, and like it depends on the situation. So even if it's like some kind of weird con consumer social network thing, it's gotta be like a core group of people love instead of another. Because otherwise it won't be able to do this other stuff, like this crazy growth. And the same thing with the payment stuff. Now, you could artificially inflate the numbers, but that's never gonna be any advice that you're gonna hear from any YC partner. Because investors are not idiots, especially not the ones that we invite to demo day. It only takes a couple of questions to immediately realize that you don't have real engagement, retention, and you have churn under control. It's very, very easy to catch that. I can tell right away that, that you do not actually have something really there, that people like really love your product. And so if you think you're gonna be able to attract people with just a deck or whatever, that's not gonna be a chance. People don't invest based on looking at a deck. They're gonna ask you a couple of questions. And if you don't have your numbers and don't know your users well, and you don't have something that is like truly something that people love, even in a small sort of grouping, then all those weird growth hacks and tricks and all that stuff, right? That's no good to you because like what people want to figure out is like, I wanna fund a company that's gonna last for like 10, 20 years. And you don't get that by building something fake that tricks people into like using you. That's not a business that I'm interested in ever at all. So it's not growth at all costs. It is how do we get good genuine growth healthy stuff that happens. And they only get that as that, like these very fundamental, no shortcut 
ways, which is like build something like really sort of great and then iterating on it until it becomes something great um, with whoever it is that you want to sort of please. And that's pretty much it. Thanks guys, that was some great advice. Can we give them a round of applause? So if this has piqued your interest about entrepreneurship, we meet here every Friday to talk shop about startups and that kind of stuff. Um, do you want to say something? Yeah, so all of us are very easy uh, to get in touch with. If you have any other questions that we didn't get to, or you have you know, questions about YC or anything, um, you can uh, get me at kat, K-A-T, at ycombinator.com. Michael is Michael at, and Kevin is Kevin at. So it's all of our first names. <laughs>